Interview number 113, Octavia Sexton, telling the Jack story, traditional tales for us all. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to the Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf, and I am so grateful that you have come here to join us, to be with us as we spend the next hour, the next hour holding up that thing we love so much, that gem, that star in the sky that that we know of, that we recognize as the art of storytelling. Because today I found a guest, a guest from the hills of Kentucky where the grass is blue. Her name is Octavia Sexton. She grew up in the Appalachian tradition of storytelling, and her stories reflect the melding of her English, Irish, and Cherokee storytelling ancestors. She shares the legends, tales, and superstitions from her distinctive oral heritage in a delightfully exuberant performance. Her natural dialect transports the listener into the mountains of eastern Kentucky, where ghosts, haunts, chill your blood. Jack tickles your funny bone, and the hills and hollers are full of surprises. A professional storyteller for over 25 years, she has been performing in schools and venues in 11 states. She has eight volumes of storytelling recordings being sold nationwide and is a published author. Octavia, thank you so much for coming on my show. Well, thank you for having me here. So, do you have a a story you can share with us? I can share a story with you. I will share a very simple Jack tale. It was way back and a long time ago. And there was this here boy named Jack. Now, Jack, he liked to have wondrous adventures. And so he set out on him a wondrous adventure one day. He decided that he would take a shortcut through the woods. He started up through the woods, and he ran into this old man. Now, this old man was just kind of wandering from tree to tree. Uh huh. Jack was like... Buddy, are you lost, or just what are you doing? And the old man said, well, yeah, said, uh, I have lost my way. He said, uh, I, I keep on retracing my steps, I think, because I know I just passed this tree a while ago, and I'm trying to find the road. And Jack said, well, I just left the road, said I can hit back. So he helped the old man, you know, down on off that mountain out of the woods into the road. And that old man said, Jack, I want to thank you. So that was a kind deed. You know, I could have been wandering around there after dark. No telling what would have happened, could have fell. And, well, Jack... I'm going to give you something. Jack's eyes got wide. Well, what are you going to give me? Man, he put his hand down in his pocket, fiddled around, came out with a pocket knife. Said, Jack, I'm going to give you this pocket knife. <gasps> Show enough, Jack said, a pocket knife. Yeah, Jack. Jack looked at it. It was a case. Pocket knife. Now, that's a prize pocket knife. Now, Jack never, ever had his own pocket knife. And it wasn't just a case. It was a case double X. Lottie Jack, he turned that around, around in his hands with bone handles. He opened it up, had one big blade. It had one of them little blades, too. Oh, he said, ah. He said, it's a double-bladed case double X pocket knife. The old man said, yeah, Jack, and it's 
magic. Magic, Jack said. Yeah, Jack, it cuts water. No, Jack said, it cuts water. Yeah, that old man said. Jack looked down. He said, oh, wow. Not only is it a case double X pocket knife, it cuts water. And Jack looked up from his pocket knife, and that old man was gone. He just disappeared. Jack thought, well, he got away awful fast to be so old. You know, he's moving pretty quick. Well, Jack, he went on, you know, in search of his adventure and uh, started kind of getting late in the day. And he thought, well, I'm going to have to find me a place to spend the night going about my adventure tomorrow. And he went over to a house across the little footbridge, knocked on the door, and this real pretty girl answered the door. And she said, get out of here, boy. And he thought she's being kind of rude. And he said, didn't your mama ever teach you any manners? I said, that ain't no way to greet anybody. She said, get out of here, boy, get. And he said, well, you just ain't, 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 ain't nice at all, are you? About that time, big old giant grabbed Jack by the shirt collar, jerked him up off of that porch, shook him around a little bit, ducked down, went into the house, and threw Jack into a cage. That girl just kind of looked over there at Jack, gave, gave him a dirty look, you know, and kind of said, whispered like, well, I told you I tried to warn you, said foolish boy. Well, Jack thought, well, I'm in a predicament now. Well, that girl went about the business like she knowed what to do. She was cooking up. She served that uh, big old giant his supper and all. You know, there wasn't a word exchanged amongst them. That giant, he said, well, go ahead and feed that boy. He said, because I'm going to eat him for breakfast. I want him nice and fat. Oh, la, you know, Jack, he was scared. Well, that giant, he kind of laid his head right down there on that table after he ate up his vittles, and he fell asleep, snoring. Jack, he hollered that girl kind of low like didn't want to wake up that giant. He said, hey. Let me out of this cage. She said, I can't let you out of that cage. He said, if you don't let me out of this cage, he said, that, that giant's going to eat me. She said, that's right. And if I let you out of that cage, guess who he'll eat? And Jack said, well, well, well he won't eat you. You're his daughter. She said, I ain't his daughter. Said, he kidnapped me. He said, I'm a king's daughter. And said, the only reason that I'm still alive is because I'm a good cook. Said, but if I let you out of that cage, he will know it and he will eat me. Jack said, come on, if you let me out of this cage, we'll escape together. She said, that old giant, he could find us so he can take ten-mile steps. Said, there ain't no way we can get away from him. Jack said, yeah. Said, well, he said, sleeps, and he'll probably sleep all night. Said, we got a good head start. She said, well, all right. Well, she opened up that cage. Boy, her and Jack, they skedaddled across that footbridge, went on down the road. I mean, just a getting it, you know. They were young, so they had good stamina. They ran, they ran, they ran. Well, they came to the Red Sea. Now, I don't know what the Red Sea was doing yonder in the Appalachian Mountains, but there it was, right afore them, you know. And why they couldn't get around it and they couldn't get across it. She said, now, what are we going to do, Jack? About that time, well, the ground started a shaking, a rumbling sound. She said, Jack, that's that giant. Here he comes. Said, and, and while Jack were stuck right here twixt the, the, the giant and the Red Sea, well, sure, they saw that giant's head coming up above the mountains, you know. What, ten mile steps? Well, he was going to be on them the next step. Jack, he drug out his pocket knife. He opened that big blade, and Jack cut the Red Sea. Slick dab open. Jack and that girl, they ran across on dry ground, got up on the other side right when that giant took a step into the middle of the Red Sea. Jack, he folded up his pocket knife. Waves came a-rushing in. Well, that was the end of that old giant. That girl looked around. She said, well, Jack, I recognize this your territory. Well, this is my pappy's place. She said, up yonder's the house. And uh, her and Jack went up there. And, well, the king, he was so happy to give his get his daughter back that he gave Jack 
his own mansion, his own servants. And I know you think that Jack wound up marrying that girl, but she didn't like Jack and never did take a hankering to him. And that's the truth, and that's the end of that story. (laughs) I really see Jack alive in that story. Yeah, Jack. Well, Jack, he, he gets around, you know. When did you first hear Jack? I heard stories that people call Jack tales. Um, when I was growing up and we were telling and, and listening to these stories, we didn't use the name Jack. I mean, maybe Jack was in it a time or two, but you used a name of somebody that uh, was a well-known name, like a family name, because I, I grew up listening and hearing stories. And, and to ask me the first time I heard a particular story, you'd be asking me to remember when I had my first drink of water. Uh, it's impossible. I don't know. I just know that they were there, and, and, and I heard them, and we told them. And if you'd asked me at that time, did I know a jacktail, I wouldn't have known what she's talking about. Because we didn't call them jacktails because they were about Luke or Amos or Joe, uh, different names. And when I went to Breer College and they found out, you know, here we have a real Appalachian, you know, in this school, and they asked me if I knew any uh, stories and asked if I knew any jacktails. And I was like, well, no, I, I don't think I know those. They started, you know, telling me, well, this here's a jacktail. And I was like, well, yeah, I know that story. But we didn't use the name Jack. And um, it's easier to use the name Jack. You know, I thought, well, that's actually easier. So I just started using the name Jack, too, rather than the way we used to do it. Using, Unless I'm telling to my grandkids or something, sometimes I'll say it, you know, use one of my grandkids' name, like it's Isaac or instead of, of Jack, the way we used to do it. But uh, out there telling professionally, no, it's always Jack. They're the Jack tales. Who owns Jack? The people own Jack. I mean, in, they think they own Jack. I don't think Jack really belongs in any one place or any one time period or to any one group of people. He's, he gives himself to everybody. People tend to think of, of, of Jack Tales just as the old English stories that came from um, Great Britain or the ones that um, evolved in the Appalachian Mountains from uh, the English, Irish, Scott, German, French people that settled there. But Jack is a common person, and wherever there's people, there's Jack. That's what I do. I help, I help people discover Jack for themselves. I work with the students in writing stories about Jack, but about a Jack they know that they can identify with in a place they live and that they understand, in a dialect that they speak, and with customs that they're used to, with traditions. and it just a celebrate. Jack, I think, is a celebration of who we are, which is who we are, not somebody else. They're not somebody else's stories. They're our stories. So when you say there are stories, you're... Like one of the things I've seen and the tendency I have, I mean, I can't help it. I start doing a jack tale. I find myself slipping into a little bit of a southern drawl just because that's all I've ever seen a jack tale done in, you know. I mean, I, was just, I just find myself speaking a little bit slower and a little bit. And, and what I hear you saying is that a jack tale told truly, owned completely by the teller, that that jack tale will be in that teller's natural speech pattern 
yes, I mean, there's nothing wrong in, in you taking, uh, okay, you know, I have a, this Appalachian dialect and I tell these stories. And if somebody wants to tell a story in my dialect or if they tell it, they, they see or they hear me and they're telling my story, that might be something they can do if they want to do. But I think so many people are so used to these being told in an Appalachian dialect or by country people, they let those people control ownership of Jack rather than take him and own him themselves. So like you, you know, you you still think that he's owned, you know, you've heard so many, maybe people like me with this dialect uh, telling these stories and we have him up there in the Appalachian Mountains or in the woods or whatever. And what you need to do is just get comfortable becoming Jack yourself. You know, look, look at the little bit of Jack in you. And then as you're talking about Jack, he'll, he'll, start, he'll start reflecting the, the values and the ideas or, or the customs that, that you're used to. Does that, I don't know if that makes any sense. But. So let's say someone's listening and they're in China right now. And we have some listeners in China and um, in Asia. So they may not have ever heard a Jack story before, t- this story that you just told. So what are some common characteristics? I mean, how is a Jack tale different than, say, a fairy tale or a fable? How, what are the characteristics of a Jack story? Jack, I mean, they're similar to fairy tales, but they're really about Jack. And he always leaves home. He's in search of something. And so the plot of the story of a Jack tale is what is it Jack wants to accomplish what does he want to find what is his destiny and that's what this the plot of the story is about always so these are night stories in a sense yes yes they are aren't they of course uh, i mean i've heard that before too people you know say that but it's like no when you said it well yes that's it and uh, but you know if somebody in china they okay what is a a, a jack tale it, Jack is a common person. He's just like me and you and everybody else. He's human. He is not perfect. He has human frailties. He he is just like us. And he goes off to find this fortune. It's a great adventure. It can um, it can have fantasy. It can have mythical beasts in it. You can put anything in there you want, whatever Jack is going to confront or come across. But he's going to have to come up against an, an antagonist that's standing between him and his fortune. What is it he's out there to get? And he's going to have to overcome the, the antagonist. And in, in the old stories, usually Jack... Um, he he would uh, yield a, a big sword and cut off heads. <laughs> that that's the, a lot of the old stories. I like the ones where he uses his wit. He's got to figure it out in a different way. It's not as easy as just okay, let's blow the antagonist away. Like so many of your videos or whatever is doing today, it sounds like that's it. whoever got the biggest gun wins. Many of the Jack tales, if you really listen to them. There's a wit about Jack. He seems to um, come out on top simply by his wit. I mean, it, and I say simply because it, it, it is more simple than being violent. A lot of people would go to violence first, 
rather than, than Jack, he, he tends to want rather avoid, you know, a confrontation like that. And then he's going to win. He's going to get what he went after. So it's going to end. It's going to have a nice ending. You, you feel safe. You feel comfortable with these stories. You know that uh, whatever happens, it, you're there for the ride. You're watching Jack go on this great adventure. And it's going, it's going to have a happy ending, kind of like a fairy tale, but a little bit different because Jack's going to bring it about. He's, he's the one. He is the hero of the story. He definitely has outside assistance on occasion. You know, in particular, the old man comes in any number of times to rescue him. Yes, there's usually a, a helper. And it can be as simple as somebody um, giving Jack directions all the way to somebody giving him magic items that will help him on his quest. It can be um, the character that helps Jack, even the antagonist, they don't have to be human. You know, you, there, there's animals, there's, uh, oh, just wondrous creatures, giants and serpents and dragons and uh, witches and whatever. It, there's all kinds of things that, that can come up in a Jack tale. Um, the helper, not every traditional Jack tale has a helper, but something has to help him on his way. Most of them you will find at least one helper in there helping Jack out, either going with him or providing him with something. Hi, this is Mary Hamilton. I'm a co-founder of WOW, working on our work Storytelling Weekends, and you are listening to me on The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Jack tales traditionally are completely patriarchal stories, you know, and so I wonder sometimes if you feel a little bit of, if not dichotomy, a little bit of um, struggle between you and the character performing it in front of certain audiences. Well, I'm comfortable with Jack, and uh, they are male-dominated stories. And especially within Appalachia, the old stories, the females got their identity through the males. Um, I mean, I was known as my my daddy's daughter. I mean, you know, that would be Dale Carter's daughter, Isaac Bowman's granddaughter. You wouldn't say that's Ollie, which was my mother's name. That's her daughter. We we received our identity through the males, and that's I don't want to perpetuate a stereotype. Things aren't like that. I grew up in a time, you know, with one room schools, and that's all past. For a long time, that's the way it was, and that's what these Jack tales uh, perpetuate too. I mean, the the males in these stories, if they they have names, I mean, Jack, if he has brothers, it's Will and Tom. You'll have a king, that's a title. Um, even um, the antagonist, like the old Dragon Man, is uh, an antagonist in one of the Jack tales. He's got this title. But the females, it would be Jack's mama or the king's daughter, not a princess. It'd be the king's daughter. That's that's in the traditional Jack tales, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I like telling the stories the traditional way. But growing up with these stories, the women did fix the Jack tales. I mean, you know, you have a bunch of uh, girls uh, sitting around telling these stories, and we've heard them, and, and yeah, me and my cousins, and I mean, I went to a one-room school. We'd sit out with a bunch of girls, and yeah, we fixed the jack tails, and they'd been fixed long before us. I mean, grandma, I mean, whatever. We we just changed the stories, and to where they'd be a female heroine in the story. So, who was that character normally? Well, no, there's a bunch of them about Mutt's Meg. That she's a female character, but we would actually take, we like to mess with stories, and we would take a jack tail and we would insert a strong female 
in there. And it would be a little twist where now it's not a traditional jacktail anymore. But wait, no, wait, wait a minute. I see I'm disagreeing with you here because if you are in Appalachian women sitting around telling a story that has been told for generations, just because the men wrote it down first doesn't mean that it's not a traditional story that's been passed down from mother to daughter to mother to daughter, right? When I told you before, we didn't all the time say this is Jack. We we didn't identify these stories as just oh I'm going to tell you a Jack tale. It, it, it we would tell these stories. It'd be about this guy. And I learned that they were Jack tales. Stories evolved from those. And no, it's not traditional because we we messed with them. I mean, they, I don't. I mean, I don't think they're. Uh, I mean, did your mother tell you? Okay. I'm just curious about this, so pardon me. Did your mother tell you stories in which the heroine, there was a heroine, mm-hmm. stories that her mother told her? Yes. And wouldn't, by definition, that make those stories traditional? Uh, they're traditional, but they're not Jack Tales anymore. But they're still in the same motif. Mm-hmm. So they're, th- that's the type. As you said before, Jack Tales don't have a name. They're just feminine in nature, so it's... I mean, we're just picking the term jacktails because that's mm-hmm. the hero story out of Appalachia that everyone associates. But just because these other stories weren't popularized by the culture doesn't mean that the female jack stories, you know, female stories that are just like jack stories is what the I... Same yeah. The same type. The same type. Okay. Okay. I see what... Aren't these traditional then? Yes. Those are traditional, like Mutt's make. Yeah. Okay. Be, it would be traditional. But... Knowingly, I mean, some of these, you know, they're like they're hundreds of years old, been passed down pretty much the same way. I'm just telling you, you write that book, and you have a bestseller. New York Times bestseller. What, with the women? Yes. Um, We created them. I mean, sometimes we would actually, they'd be created. Some of them I know that just came right from Grandma. She would take a a traditional jacktail and then switch it around. But some of them are older than that. You know, from the women were the storytellers in my family. They were the main storytellers. And Grandpa told told stories, too. But the women were basically the main storytellers. And we would tell the traditional jack tales the way they're told now. But then the others, too. We had those, too. And I, I have two daughters. And I want to, I want, I, I looked up, what's that book? There's one book, or it's Gail, I don't remember her last name. And she wrote a st- collection of jack tales. I wish I'd wrote this down. I'll I'll write this. I'll write this in the notes in the blog. But she wrote this beautiful collection, and she's got a series of female stories. and And I told those stories to my daughter. But you know, when I started reading her Jack Tales, I stopped because she was like, well, "That's great." <laughs> you know. Okay, we'll move on to another collection. You know. If people have told me before, if, if I would just write these stories down, I've heard that. You know, I am lazy when it comes to writing them down. I love telling them, and but I'm, I've got to be totally honest here. My family do not appreciate me telling our stories. Now that's really interesting, because you see this pattern in oral culture all over the world. Where one individual in the clan, I'll use the word clan because I'm talking about Native Americans, completely full-blooded Native Americans, and I'm talking about Native people in other areas of the world. There, there you see this pattern of the storyteller who's like, man, these stories live in me and I want them to go and live somewhere else. And then you see also the people around the storyteller. And in some cultures, 
no issues. But in many cultures where what I would what I would call the imperial culture or the culture of domination, the pop culture, whatever you want to call it, has been present for a long time and is really pushing on that culture, you do see this this push to not put it out there because it almost feels to some other people like, like it diminishes the stories in some way to do that. Having said that, I think the stories are so badly needed. You know, it's so clear to me they're so badly needed. I just don't think I can, I just can't do it. I can't do, they're my people. Uh, you, you got me tongue-tied here now. Um, but even though they don't like me anymore because I'm telling stories, I don't tell them the way that we tell them at home. And but there's some that you know you're these female stories that I don't know. It's like no, you, that's that's too close to home. You don't don't do that. So so the stories you tell publicly are the jack tales because those ones are already released. And so the female ones, the ones that you you don't tell those. I mean you do a little bit sometimes, but you don't really focus on that and make it your work. Right. And I yeah no I don't I don't I will tell some that are out there like the much make stories are out there but a lot of the stories that like i said we grew up with and and another thing is some of them are not stories that you could actually tell children i mean you get a bunch of women together and and they start create you know doing stuff with these stories and in appalachia where these stories reflect things that were happening in their lives and that they had to deal with so it came into the stories where you could get back at uh, things that you didn't appreciate. There would be things in these stories that, and it was a way to get back at the the male. I mean, things you would do to these males, and I don't think it would be appropriate even to, to share some of these stories. I mean, I've read some like them, but I couldn't do it. I've, I've heard, you know, other people where they do record them, but I couldn't do that. That would be something I wouldn't want anybody to know about. Hmm. I find this fascinating. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing this and talking about it. What does it mean being the member? I mean, you are part of a living oral culture, you know. And do you feel like is that oral culture you're a part of? Is it continuing? No, not not in my family. And when I'm talking about family, I'm talking about extended, you know. Uh, my cousins and their children and their children's children. I mean, I'm a grandmother now. My grandma and grandpa had passed away. They both lived to be almost 100 years old. And there was a there was a time when, you know, all the cousins, we'd gather at grandma and grandpa's and storytelling was just a part. It was just a natural part of our lives. They didn't have television. We didn't have television. Uh, some of my aunts and uncles didn't even have electricity. And so storytelling was natural. But times change and when I was going to school I went to one room school storytelling was natural when I married of course I continued telling stories mommy told stories people began their lives began changing they began moving away and generation you know you're talking from one generation to another generation to another generation and it seems like that my family my cousins and those of us that grew up together have tended to want to run away from that way of life because it was poverty. I mean, we we were, grew up in poverty, and I think they feel that this um, what we did as a pastime in telling these stories, even after 
everybody else might have had televisions and other things to do. We still told stories. We still did did things like this. So it's a part of, I think, a, a remembrance of, of how bad times were. At least I don't know any of, of my cousins or any of them that are continuing the stories other than me. And my grand, I have two grandsons, and they know the stories. I tell them, and they're learning, and they will pass them on. But of all my cousins, and you know, we're talking about them not wanting me to share. I called my one of my aunts, and this has probably been 15 years ago, because there was one story that Grandpa used to tell, and I couldn't remember it all. And by then, I was already, you know, out there known as a storyteller. And I called up my aunt, and I said, remember when Grandpa used to tell this? I said, do you remember? She said, I don't know anything. I don't remember anything. I don't remember ever telling a story. And I was like, oh. I mean, so that I'm like, okay. And then I started getting that from all of them. And they don't remember anything. Well, isn't that something? They don't remember anything. And I don't understand that. I don't know why they would let this die. Simp- I, I'm, I don't understand that. But I'm not letting my part of it die. I, I'm telling what I do remember. And then a lot of stuff that I don't remember, <laughs> I just make it up. <laughs> but my grandsons, they know the stories. I really think they will pass them on. They're in my family. My kids know the stories. So at least it's there. I've lived where I live all my life. And Mommy was there and Grandma and Grandpa and their people all the way back for generations. But I, I, real, I don't know of anybody anywhere around me that, that still tells stories. I don't know of any of them. My sister, she uh, came with me to a storytelling conference because I was sick and she had to drive me. And I put her name in a hat to tell a story. And so she was kind of put on the spot. She didn't know I put her name in the hat and got up and told a story. And she was good. Yeah, she was really good, and I knew she told stories to her grandkids. You know, it was a story that I thought, wow, you know, I could have some competition here. <laughs> but it's not something that she has actually, you know, got out and done. It's like they, I know they know these stories, but they don't share them. They're not, they're not coming out in the open with it. It's like, you know, share it with some people, but not everybody. Hey, I, I share it with everybody. <laughs> Jerry Mander wrote an amazing book um, about television, the destruction he he did this research on native communities when the TVs went in, went in up north in the 60s and 70s and how it destroyed the oral culture. Um, and it's a fascinating reading. I tried to get him on the show and he was just new new technological meeting completely like whoa different didn't get it. It's just this idea of how of what independence means. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of what does independence really mean. You know, a lot of my listeners know I teach survival skills to children. So I teach, you know, how to build a simple shelter, how to build, and and I'm been thinking a lot about how culture defines us, and how rare it is that people create their own culture, and how how many people allow others to create their culture for them, and sometimes others have good intentions, and sometimes others have bad intentions, and I want to be very clear that I think that good and bad stuff runs across left and right. <laughs> and and that it's just important to be responsible for your own culture, you know. Can you tell me, when you go into schools, how do you teach? Just just describe for a few minutes how you teach kids how to do jacktails. Pretend someone's listening and they're, they're working in Vietnam in a Peace Corps environment or in an international school 
and they would like to bring Jack Tills to their school, and they can't afford to fly, you know, Octavia Sexton in from the United States. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'd love to go to Vietnam, but uh, how would they bring Jack to their school? Well, um, now I have a website. It's uh, www.octaviasexton.com. And I maintain it myself, and I'm not <laughs> real computer savvy. I should get somebody to do it for me, but I'm kind of stubborn. I'm like, no, I can do this myself. But I am going to be putting um, some stuff on there uh, about how to create the jacktails. And until I do that, I, people can call me. I am ready to talk to anybody if they want to call me and ask about it. Or I could even, you know, I would be happy to mail them some material on how to do it. It's very simple. I mean, if you know how to put a story together, the basics of a story, you have a, a beginning, middle, and an end. I mean, Jack tells you you have the exposition, and you then you have your rising action, you have your high point, you have your falling action, and you have your conclusion. Only it's about Jack and what we talked about earlier, that, you know, he's going out and he's trying to find his destiny. But I use the stories... I use jacktails in everything. I use them to teach. I don't care what it is. I can use a jacktail to teach with. I have used the jacktails with adjudicated youth who were dealing with violence, and they. I use jacktails. They create jacktails, but they have to. Jack has a problem, but he can't solve it by violence. And so they have to work that out. And they're using what they're doing. They're putting Jack into their environment. It's not Appalachia. We're talking about that and not feeling comfortable about it. But the people I work with, they, they are comfortable. I mean, they, it's like they don't know my life or, you know, where I'm from. They don't understand the, the mountains. I mean, I can remember, <laughs> I'm getting off topic here, but I was working with uh, some um, adjudicated youth and they were, um, you know, teenage gang kids from cities, which is a life I don't understand either. But we were talking about squirrels, and we were talking, you know, their parks or whatever. And somehow it got into where they were talking about uh, eating things and eating chicken or whatever. And I said, well, you know, have you ever eaten any squirrel brains? And you talk about, you know, somebody's mouth dropping open. These big old boys, you know, their mouths just dropped open. And they looked at me and they said, eat what? And I said, squirrel brains. And all of a sudden, you know, they're looking at me <laughs> in a whole different way. And they're like, did you eat squirrel brains? And I'm like, sure, I ate squirrel brains. I said, you, you fry them little heads up. And I said, you crack them like what? Well, look, your mouth's dropping open. <laughs> you don't have to put this on there. But, no, I want to hear it. I want to hear the recipe. Okay. You crack them little heads open and you dig them out like walnuts. You know, you eat the little brains right up. We grew up, we ate anything. But you know, if you go out, bring it in. Mommy would feed us. It was clean. It was good food. No, yeah, that's those boys. They were, they were, I was freaking them out. I think they, they were like trying to cross their fingers, you know, like I was a Two weeks ago. I left the Vale where I lived, Yellow Springs in the Vale, other than the Vale, Vale community. I drove down the gravel lane. I left. I did something for an hour and a half. Oh, it was my sign language class I'm taking. And I came back, and there on the lane was a fresh squirrel. And I'm sorry to say that I drove home, and I got distracted, and I, I didn't get to it before it got all hard as a rock. <laughs> um, but I was planning to strip it up, and but at no point was I planning to eat the brains of that squirrel. <laughs> But now, now I'm scared because I know that at some time in my future, I'm going to drive down the lane, I'm going to see a fresh squirrel, and I'm going to think to myself, 
Okay, you can fry that up. You can just fry that up. Here's the other part. Appalachian culture, there's a very famous series called Foxfires. And Foxfire, many people misunderstand it. They think that Foxfire is about teaching Appalachian culture. But actually, Foxfire was about teaching whatever culture was present in that classroom. So the teacher, it, what happened, If you, I don't, you know the story? The teacher was teaching English, and he turned his back on the class. And three boys grabbed his notes and lit fire to them while his back was turned. And he turned around, and he realized that what he was doing was not working by any stretch of the imagination. He decided to do something completely different. And so what he did was he turned his classroom into a journalism group, and he sent them out to collect stories, bring them back, type them up, print them, and, and, and they ended up in a series of books. They meant to do new, just newsletters, but they ended up in this, you know, like, I don't know how many, 14, 22. And it's actually an institute that manages all this stuff. But the key idea here is that he was collecting the stories of how people live their lives in the Appalachian culture. Jack, as you understand him, is a representation of that culture, of that life. And if I tell Jack, as I understand it from you, Jack should represent my culture and my life, which is really a Manhattan transplanted Midwestern culture of the New York metropolitan area. And I'm okay. I played with that before. And the stories I ended up with just they felt so different than your Jack stories that I felt like I was stealing Jack. But what I hear you saying is that Jack has traveled the world. His name may have changed. But any time I hear a quest story, I'm hearing a jack tale. And if I want to call it a jack tale, I'll just put the word jack in there. Yes. And I guess that's why I fought with you so much about the concept that jack tales have to be patriarchal. Because I know, for my daughter's sake, that quest stories mm -hmm. can be female-centered. That females can go on quests. Yes. And so I guess, I guess what I'm asking you is, if I hear a story from another culture, any time I hear a story from another culture... I'm nervous about telling it because I don't necessarily know everything about that culture. So if I hear a story from the Sioux, Native Americans, or the Cheyenne, or if I hear a story from a Mexican story, there are many assumptions inherited in that story that I'm not even going to ever get. Like squirrel brains. <laughs> you know, many times in Jack tells I talk about hunting squirrels. It never crossed my mind that part of that story might be eating squirrel brains and looking forward to eating mm -hmm. squirrel brains. And so I guess what I'm asking is, is a question I've asked a few times before of other people. Is it really possible to tell stories from other cultures? Is it really possible for someone, for me to get up and to tell a Jack tale that's not... That's, in Appalachian, you know, some of the Appalachian, the east wind. I love east wind. I don't tell it professionally, but sometimes for fun or on the fire, I'll tell the east wind. Because it's just such a wonder. I'm going to go. I just love the face that I make as Jack. I'm going to take this. I'm going to, I'm going to, God, I remember what it is right now. I'm going to take my coat, and I'm going to stuff my coat in the hole the east wind comes out of. <laughs> I just love saying that line. And it's like, I guess when I tell that story, I'm answering my own question. I'm sorry. I should let you talk, but. I guess I have to remember that I'm telling a story from another culture. I see. I think you could take that story and and make it your own. I I I really can't grasp the concept that you don't that you can't do that or that you feel uncomfortable doing that. If oh no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> but until now, I wasn't comfortable. Oh, okay. So if you, I don't see if, if you want it to 
put its Appalachian, or if you want to do that with it, I don't see a problem with that either, as long as you're honest. I don't, this is a personal peeve of mine, is when somebody comes in and they, they hear some of my stories, Appalachian, and, and they know nothing about my culture. They just get up and they, they tend to, to tell a story with disrespect. All that they're wanting to do is, is make fun. What does that mean? Because some people listening and be like, oh, I don't want to do that, but they don't know what that means. Well, first of all, I think you need to find out as much as you can about the people that you're going to be that you're going to be telling their stories. If you're going, if you're wanting it to be a representation of that culture, then you know if if it's a Native American story, if it's a, a Cherokee, for, you know some of them you wouldn't tell at all because you're not allowed to. That would be disrespectful. But if you know, it's a story that's widely known, but you know it's from, I think you need to. Um, Make sure that your audience understands where you're coming from with it. Don't put, don't, don't portray yourself as, as something that you're not, and don't pretend like. But then, with disrespect, is by exaggerating, in getting people to laugh, at, the owners or what you're perceiving is the previous owners of the story. The, the Appalachian people or the native people, whoever, that you're taking this story from, and, and then leaving the audience with the idea that, the, the, that where this story came from, these people were ignorant in some way. And I think a lot of people do that with the Appalachian dialect, and they feel comfortable with it. They're like, well, yeah, we make fun of those people. And then they make us look like ignorant hillbillies because they, they just they don't know how to tell the story. That, that's all they're getting out of it. They're just wanting to make fun of us. And no, I don't like that. That's a personal peep. It's like, if you want to take a story and tell it like it's been told in that culture, take some time to understand the culture. Don't just listen to one person from that culture and then run out and take that story and say, I can tell it just like them. Because you can't. You don't know a thing about that culture. You don't know that we eat squirrel brains. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they don't. No, don't. Oh, gosh. Who's going to listen to say, I've never eaten any squirrel brains in my life. <laughs> I think if you do it with sensitivity and you're, you really want to represent that culture, you can do it. You know, that's what actors do. They take on different parts, and they do it well. You don't have to be from a place to um, identify with those people. But it, it takes some work. I just think it. I think it's easier. Just what I think about Jack Tales is because, like you know, he is. He's everybody, and you already know him. I mean, you know how you grew up. You know that kind of life. Well, there you go. Jack's your neighbor. Tell about him. <laughs> so that's that's easy, and that's what I do when I go into a school and um, start teaching people how to create a Jack Tale. Which see now we're talking about recent jack tales and some people think well there's not any any you know they're just old jack tales or traditional jack tales what are you talking about new jack tales well it means you make you one up you take jack and you put him in a, a setting and you give him a a, a a problem to solve and then you go at it and you've got you a brand new jack tale and it's not traditional it's yours all yours it's your creation so yes Jack is alive and well, and he doesn't just live a way back in a long time ago. He's living right next door.
Hi, I'm Anne Glover, and you're listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Okay, now do I go? Okay, monkey, yeah, go ahead, your turn. Okay, hi. Um, no, wait a second. Um, wait, can we start over, because I forgot if I... No, monkey, just say hi, this is monkey. Hi, but Anne, what, they don't know me. No, but th- that's why you're introducing yourself. Hi, this is monkey. No, I'm monkey. I know, I'm just <laughs> telling you what to say. Hi, I'm monkey. And this is, you're listening to... And you're... But what if they're not listening anymore? They're listening, monkey. Just talk to them. Um, okay, you're listening to the art of storytelling, but and What, monkey? You say with Brother Wolf. Come on. Oh, yeah. Um, but why is he called Brother Wolf? It's his name. Well, his name's Eric, but he's calling himself Brother Wolf. Why don't we just say with Eric Wolf? Well, you can say that, Monkey. Okay, hi. This is Monkey, and you're listening to Eric. No, but then they'll think I'm Eric. No, they won't, Monkey. They really won't. Okay, hi. This is Monkey. Um, and... You've got to wrap it up, Monkey. Wrap what up? End. We're running out of time. Okay, hi. This is Monkey, and, um, um, you're listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Wolf. Whoa, Eric, is that it? That's it, monkey. Well done. How can people reach out to you? Um, you said you say your website again. It's www.octaviasexton.com. O C T A V I A. Sexton, S-E-X-T-O-N. Dot com. Dot com. And you live in Kentucky? I live in Orlando, Kentucky. Yeah. And it's not sunny and funny there all the time. <laughs> and um, so you have some stuff on the website. Could you describe that again? Um, yeah, I have... Um, it's a list of my programs and uh, some of the, the things that I teach... You said you were going to put some material up yes. there for teachers. Yes, yes. I'm going to put up some material, uh, some of the things that I've been using in the classrooms. To Some of it, I mean, if you're a teacher uh, and you already, it's already available to you. It's just I've taken, you know, the basic um, thing that you need to create a story, which teachers already know, and put it in a, in a way that uh, you can just fill in the blanks, and there you have a, a jack tail. You just transfer it from that into the story. Okay, so for my offer, I just want to remind the audience that I have this free e-course called Zen and the Art of Storytelling in Seven Simple Steps. And if you go to theartofstorytellingshow.com, put a slash after it, and write the word storytelling, you'll go to that e-course and you can sign up to get some free emails on how to use storytelling as a performer or um, in whatever way or capacity you're using storytelling, how to focus your energy and It's basically looking at the process of telling stories as opposed to going through how to develop a story. If you are interested in attending workshops, if you are interested in um, learning more about storytelling events I may be doing that involve going to conferences I'm attending, etc., presenting stuff on storytelling, learning about how to be a storyteller, if you sign up to that e-course even if you're not that interested in it, you will then get those monthly alerts. Once a month, you'll get a little notice about and other stuff about storytelling workshops I might be offering. 
I also have a storytelling alerts list. If you put that same address, artofstorytellingshow.com, put a slash after it and put the word alert, and that will get you on a list where every week you'll get a notice or every couple weeks when I don't get to it sometimes about what's going on on the show if I do an, a live interview or if just other things are going on if I posted a show or something else. Octavia, do you have any last final words or thoughts for the international storytelling community? I just want to encourage people to tell stories. Don't hold back. Don't think you can't. Don't feel intimidated. We all have something to tell. And I just love to sit and listen to people share. That's, and I just encourage people to do that. It's what makes us human. Sharing our stories. And all of life is one big story. And that's what my life is. Each day it's a different page. It's a different part of the story and all the ups and downs. And I think of life as one great big jacktail. We're all out in this adventure. We're all trying to discover our destiny. And we know that in the end we're going to die. But a lot of people don't realize that, too, is the beginning of another story. I think the gem I'd like us to take away from this conversation is that Jack, and Octavia said it, Jack belongs to us all. And your Jack looks different than my Jack. And that idea, it's like storytelling. You know, there's as many different types of storytellers. There's many different ways to tell a story as there are people. That each person has their own particular style, their own particular expertise as a storyteller. You can no more copy someone else's style than you can copy someone else's face and put it on your face. It's just not possible. You can be inspired by someone else's style. And in that, you have to be careful because maybe your style is so completely different that by trying to copy their style, you're actually running counter to them. Like in The Ugly Duckling, you're trying to be something that you're not. You might be a beautiful swan and you're trying to be a duck. And there are some amazing duck storytellers, I'm sure. But the point of, the point of what I'm saying is that Jack belongs to us all. And in order to find him, we have to know who we are. And that brings me back, because I'm thinking a lot about uh, some of the native teachings this weekend. And that brings me back to a conversation I had with Thomas Benyankin. I'm saying his name wrong. He was the Hopi ambassador to the United Nations and he died about a decade ago but I was in New York one time and he came and he came to one of those, conf- one of those conferences and I just heard he was coming to this conference so I went to go see him and he, I saw him give this talk and at the talk he said listen I'd love to teach you a lot of things but you don't know who you are and I can't teach you anything till you know who you are so you have to go back to your traditions and find out who you are, who you, who you are as a people, who you are as individuals. And when you know who you are, come back to us. He's speaking about as the Hopi. Come back to us and we will teach you something because we know so much. But you don't know enough for us to even talk to you. Wow. You know? And that made me go back. That's, that, that was the moment in my life when I stopped telling native stories. And I started telling fairy tales. And I started telling my own stories. I think it was tall tales. 
And so I think I'm going to take this challenge you've laid down here. <laughs> Earlier in a conversation we were having, Octavia basically said, well, go tell the New York City jacktails. And I was like, oh, it sounds so strange. You know, jacktails are in the mountains. And she's like, no, jacktails are where you grew up or where you are, and that's what you know. And I, I've been exploring that, and I, I think I'm going to, you know, maybe a CD, <laughs> New York jacktails. Octavia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. This guest has written a post for the blog that can be read at www.artofstorytellingshow.com. This post includes a bio and a link to the guest's website, plus other additional information about our discussion. If you want to respond to this show, you can find this post and share your thoughts through the comment system in the blog comment box. If you wish to join a future show as an audience member, go to www.artofstorytellingshow.com slash alerts and sign up to the email alert system. You can buy CDs of shows and preloaded iPods on the website. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This show is produced and hosted by me, Brother Wolf, and I am responsible for its content. It is released under a Creative Commons non-derivative and non-commercial license. That means you can copy it and you can give it away, but you can't splice it up or sell it. High-definition versions of this show are considered copyrighted, all rights reserved. Thanks for sticking around. Surprised to see you here. Not everybody listens to the end of the tape. I decided for this episode to stick something special at the end, you know. You see, about a year ago, before I ever met Octavia, before I ever considered interviewing her, I have been messing with the idea of taking jacktails and putting them into urban environments. And so about a year ago, I was reading some stories, and it was a story that was set in um, Syria or maybe Jordan in the Middle East. And I was reading the story and I, I don't really like that motif. I'm not into it. It's not a place I've ever been. I don't know much about it. And so I really liked the story, though. And so after reading the story, I, I realized that the story would work as a jacktail. And so I, I set the various figures from the Jack world into this story, and then I moved the story into a city. So you can see me here taking steps towards the direction that Octavia encouraged me to go a full year before I met her. When I really move in this direction of putting Jack Tales in the New York City environment, you won't be as surprised. You can see here the, the progression I've made. Anyway, this story is completely original. It has no comparison in the Jack story world. So you're not going to find a second source. And this is my interpretation of a story out of um, the Purple Fairy book. And therefore, this story is copyrighted. Having said that, there are a thousand Jack stories out there. So find one you like and tell it.
Tell it once. Tell it often. Tell it many times. I hope you enjoy Jack and the Treasure, performed live at the Clifton Opera House in the spring of 2010. You know all about Jack, right? You know, Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack and the Magic Wish, Jack and the Giant. You know all about Jack, Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack and the King. You know all about Jack. Well, you ain't never heard this Jack story because he just told it to me last week. See, a long time ago, Jack went out in the world and he made his fortune. Finally. He had his fortune and it was a lot of money and he was worried about bringing it home. He was thinking, if I take all this money home, people are going to stop me. Robbers are going to stop me and they're going to take all this gold from me and I'm not going to have anything left. So he went to a nearby city and he converted all of his fortune into five gems. And he put those five gems inside a lockbox and he wrapped that lockbox in the smelliest piece of laundry you've ever smelled and he carried it under his arm and he dressed in the dirtiest, mangiest clothes he could find and he walked all the way home and all those robbers took one look up and said, oh, don't bother that guy. He doesn't have anything. Well, he was getting close to home and he saw there was a little city there that he hadn't visited in a long time. He said, I'll just see what's going on. He was going to that city and he was kind of walking around, checking things out and he was in the silk bazaar there looking at all these fine silks and he looked over and there was this new shop and he had been there when he was there like 10 years ago and he, there was his brothers, Tom and Will. He hadn't said, they saw him. Jack, how's it going? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, nice to see you. Oh, well, it's good to see you, boys. Um, last time I think we were together, you tried to kill me. And the time before that, you beat me up and threw me in a well. And the time before that, you stole my lunch money. And the time before that, you stole all my clothes and made me run home naked. And the time before that, you tied my, my, uh, my feet together. You thought it would be funny and put, threw me in the pen with a bowl. We're over that, Jack, said Will and Tom. We're over that. We're successful silk merchants. What are you doing? You look like you're down your luck. Come in and have some tea. And they sat there, had some tea and coffee and... Jack started to open up a little bit and tell him about what had happened to him and his great fortune. He even opened up his chest and showed them what was inside and they were just aghast because those five gems were each worth what was in their shop. They said, Jack, we're so glad we ran into you because you know, between here and our house, our old, you know, mama's place, there is a group of thieving bandits and they have heard that you have made your fortune and they are just waiting for you and they're going to jump you and they're going to take those gems. So I tell you what, Jack, you go on home and you leave those gems in our lockbox and you get like all the neighbors to come with you and you, you know, all those strong men in the, in the valley there and you have them come back with you and that way you'll be safe from the robbers. Come back here and get them. Okay, Jack thought, all right. So he took, the, he took his little box, they put it in their lockbox, locked that safe up real good. Now Jack was a little nervous. So he went to the Silk Bazaar and he went to every single merchant in the bazaar and he said, are Tom and Will really the reformed men they claim to be? Are they really honest? And everyone said, yes, sir, yes, sir, definitely, sir, yes, sir, mm -hmm. yes, sir, you got it, sir, mm -hmm. yep, yep. Mm -hmm. What Jack didn't know was that the Silk Bazaar was actually a black market bazaar and the silk was just a cover. And every single one of those silk dealers was in fact a thief and a robber and every single one of those was a black market marketeer and the best thief and robber and black marketeers in the entire place was Jack's brothers. So Jack went home and got all the neighbors together and they came back and Jack said outside the city, you guys wait here, and he went in to go ask Tom and Will for his gems back. Well, he went up to the shop and they said, who are you? I'm Jack. I'm your brother. You got my gems. Uh, we don't have a brother. Get out of here. But, but, 
Well, he tried to break in the shop and the, the, um, Tom and Will, they called the police and the police came. They dragged Jack out and they beat Jack and Jack now had bruises and he couldn't get in the shop and he was really upset and he didn't know what to do so he just stood on the street and started crying. He was just standing there crying. And standing there crying. Standing there crying. Day after day. Well, this old man, he walks by and he looks at Jack. And then later the same day, he walks by and he looks at Jack. And the next day, what... Well, what are you doing, son? What, what's going on with you? Why are you standing here crying? <laughs> and Jack told him the whole story. Oh, I hate those two. They are so much trouble. They're your brothers, huh? Well, I'm going to fix them good. You just come. You, you know, take the night off. Stop crying. Get a break. Here's a little bit of money. Go to a hotel. Get a break. And in the morning, come here bright and early. And stand in front of the shop. And when you see the sign, you come right up to them and you ask them for your gems back. So Jack went to the hotel. He rested. Got a, got a good night's sleep. Got up early in the morning. Went out. Stood in front of the shop. Tom and Will were checking him out. What's he doing? All of a sudden they heard a crier. Make way! Make way! Make way for the lady! Make way for the lady! Alexander! Make way! A fine carriage comes riding up with a a footman and a, and a rider. It's just amazing. Beautiful carriage, all painted gold. But the windows are closed. The footman gets off. He says, you, Tom and Will. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How can we help the lady? Oh, Tom and Will, the lady has heard of your honest deeds and your good works. And she is in serious trouble. A group of blackmailers have heard that her lord is out of town and they are planning to break into her house tonight and to steal her black pearl necklace with over 990 black pearls. She would like you folks to, to hold it for her. Would that be all right? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, yes, of course. Of course, sir. No problem. And the footman reaches inside the window through the curtain and comes out with a case. And he opens the case. And there is the actual necklace. Each pearl represents Ten years of hard labor by one person trying to get oysters. Ten years of dedication. And there's 990 pearls. Tom and Will are just salivating. They're just like, we'll, we'll be glad to take care of that for you. They're thinking about how far they can get before the gates close tonight. Can they get out of town? Jack's looking at all this and he sees a hand come out the side, the other side of the carriage and kind of go like this. So he walks up. He says to Tom and Will, um, gentlemen, thank you so much for holding on to those gems for me. I'd like them back now. Tom and Will look at each other. They're looking at the black pearl necklace. They're looking at each other. I'll get it, says Tom. He runs inside, opens the safe, gets the gems out, he comes back, hands it to Jack. Jack's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. He runs down the street. Woohoo! He starts dancing. All of a sudden, they hear a call. The Lord of Alexander has returned. The Lord has returned. <gasps> the footman closes the case. <sighs> I guess the lady won't be needing your services after all. Hands the case inside the carriage. The carriage rides off. Tom and Will are looking at each other. They're, they're in shock. What, what just happened? The carriage door opens up. There's no lady inside. It's the old man. He starts dancing down the street too. I tricked those two. I'm the one that goes to Oh, they get everybody, but I got you. <laughs> Tom and Will look at each other. Oh, 
They start dancing too. Jack and the old man stop. What, what are you two doing? Why are you dancing? We won. We tricked you. Oh no, said Tom and Will. We know 37 ways to lie, cheat, and steal. And we just learned a 38th.